what triggered this bizarre behavior. Journey into the cold heart of northern darkness with Nordic crimes. That case uh, became like a scene from a horror movie. A new true crime documentary series that chilled the bone. The hunger for killing is increasing in the course of these homicides. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nordic Crimes is a part of the Acast family. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Of course, it's something that runs through your mind. I mean, every one of the exonerees that I've spoken to have told me that that you can't walk out of a situation like that unscathed. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Of course, this entire project is focused on talking to incarcerated men and women. People whose lives have been flipped upside down, pulled from pillar to post, and in many cases ruined. However, of course, it's not just those who are incarcerated that suffer, but also the families. During this project so far, we've spoken with daughters, sons, sisters, mothers, and fathers of the incarcerated men and women we've covered in our stories, all with their own tales of heartbreak and pain over these situations. However, so far we've not actually spoken with a significant other, a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife, who's dealing with this situation. Today, we change that. Hello. Hey, Paula. It's Jack. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. How's my voice sound? Yeah, it's actually on good. It's the very, home phone here. Yeah, it's very clear. It's good. I mean, it's very unusual for for me to talk to people on a home phone these days. <laughs> Paula Kenzu, who's not only the wife of Temujin Kenzu, the man who's been incarcerated for nearly 37 years for a murder he says he didn't commit, but also is his biggest advocate on the outside. A lady who not only works a full-time job herself, nine to five, but also spends every spare waking moment advocating for her husband's freedom. What makes this even more intriguing is that Paula and Temujin only met in 2019, became friends, fell in love, and would marry, all while Temujin was incarcerated. How did you first hear about、um, Temujin's story? Gosh, so it's a small world, right?、Um, I grew up in the same small town that the victim Scott Macklem was in. He and I graduated from the same high school.、Um, I ended up later teaching at the college where he was、um, shot at. 
Um, so I was 11 years old at the time of the murder, and I remember hearing about the murder. I remember hearing that a man named Scott Macklem had been, you know, shot and killed. I really never really heard about it again until decades later in 2019. I was reading a Facebook post about Temujin being in prison for a murder that he couldn't have committed. It was a wonderfully written article that kind of outlined all of the, you know, the the main topics on why, you know, how we know he was wrongfully convicted. You know, it, it talked about, you know, the, the bad eyewitness identification. It talked about the, the jailhouse snitch that later recanted. It talked about all of these different elements. And I was just in shock and in awe. And I just did a little bit of research. I went on Proving Innocence website and was just starting to, like, just try and wrap my head around how on earth this could have happened. And, you know, I, I was led to, you know, University of Michigan Innocence Clinic profile that, you know, had Imran on there saying that, you know, they approach all cases with a high degree of skepticism and that, you know, he's absolutely confident that Temujin was wrongfully convicted. And I was just blown away. So, um, I looked at his at, at Temujin's Facebook page, and it was rather outdated. There were people just posting random things on there. I, in the article, I knew that he had lost his wife seven years prior, and I thought, my gosh, you know, how horrible to be wrongfully convicted, to be in prison, to you know lose your wife during that time. And at that time, they had been married for twenty two years, and I, I just felt so sad for him. And I was like, my gosh, you know, like, I, I hope he has good people in his life, you know, fighting for him. And I thought I should reach out to him and see if he needs me to write a letter to the governor or if there's something, you know, maybe update his Facebook page. Um, maybe there's something that I can. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Paula says that before she even reached out to Temujin, she also spoke with her mum to see what she knew of the case and if she'd heard anything about this Temujin Kenzu and his story. And to her surprise, her mother had not only heard of it, but also said that she believed that he was certainly an innocent man. As soon as I mentioned um, the case and that somebody was in prison, my mom said, oh, that guy is innocent. He, there's no way he did this crime. 
Wow. And so my mother knew about his innocence and his case even before I even talked to him. That first um, message that you sent him, do you remember what you said in your message? I I do. I said, hi, you know, my name's Paula. I um, came across an article on, on Facebook about you being wrongfully convicted and you know, I'm very sorry to, to hear what you've been through and that, you know, it's. It, I said, it's hard to believe on one hand uh, what happened, but I said, on the other hand, it's really not that hard to believe knowing kind of how people in this area are because, um, you know, it's just a very cliquish area. You're either an outsider, you're outcast, or you're part of the the group that, that lives there and they're, they're just, are not very welcoming to anybody who's, you know, a city person or somebody mm. who's not from here. And so I just asked him, you know, um, do you have good people in your life? Like, do you need help with anything? And is there something that I can do? You know, just because I felt so horrible for him. Three days later, Temujin would send a lengthy reply. And so it began. The two would converse regularly via the prison's messaging system. And the relationship grew from there. It just blossomed into a really beautiful friendship. Uh, first off, I just have to say I was absolutely stricken with how intelligent Temujin is. I mean, even from the very first message that I received back from him, there wasn't a single misspelling or typo in the entire, you know, very <laughs> long message reply that he had sent back. And I thought, well, at least I know I'm dealing with somebody who's, you know, can communicate very well. And um, and all of his messages were were like that, and they were. And then he uh, he just has this really great sense of humor, you know. And um, so we conversed back and forth for um, quite a period of time, um, just through the JPay system. And you know, he would tell me all about Amico, and he would tell me all about the case, and he would ask me things about my life and things that were going on in my life and what I did for a living. And um, I could tell right away that he was just compassionate and he cared about people and he was thankful for any help that I could give him whatsoever. You know, it turned into be the biggest fight that I've ever had in my life. Um, and it's, it's still ongoing, unfortunately. So how long um, had you were you guys sort of chatting backward and forward before you started feeling that there was maybe more there than just friendship? It wasn't incredibly long. I kind of knew. I, I don't know how I knew, but I just knew. And um, you know, we, when we started talking on the phone back and forth and I was able to spend 15 minutes on the phone with him a couple times a day, I, I think it was a little bit more fluid, our conversation, and it was just the, the conversation evolved into more, you know, deep topics and it was, it just became more interesting. Before I met him, which I met him around March of 2020, before I met him, I was kind of already thinking, you know, is he, you know, is he the one? Like, is he, is he the one that I'm supposed to be with for the rest of my life? Like, it just, and I had only talked to him on the phone at that point. So it was very strange for me. And I was like very hesitant. Um, but then after we met, it was, there was just, an, there was just a deeper connection. And then, you know, we were able to spend several hours together in the visiting room and, you know, connect that way in person. And then it was, just, you know, kind of cemented over that four to six week time frame before they shut the prison down completely for COVID. And I wasn't able to go back in and see him again for many months. So what was that like meeting him for the very first time? Um, he was absolutely nervous. He was <laughs> he was more nervous than I was. Um, I was like, just really worried about him. And I don't know why I was worried about him. I mean, he's, 
obviously a big strong man and he doesn't need protection or anything like that. I just felt really, really bad for him. You know, like I just felt really horrible that he had been through everything that he had, you know, losing his wife and just losing all these friends and just all the, you know, all of these different people that fought for him over the years. I was really concerned for him, but I was mostly curious just, just to figure out who he was as a person and is this connection that I have on the phone with him or something more to it or or not. I think once you meet in person and you kind of have those interactions, then it just adds an additional layer on and you're like, okay, you know, now let's see how this goes. Now, I'm sure there are people out there who couldn't quite possibly fathom getting involved with someone who was in prison, let alone someone who may never actually get out. So I asked Paula if she had any reservations back then about just what she might be signing herself up for, not just the battle for Temujin's freedom, but the emotional toll that it would undoubtedly take on her. I never really thought about it because just the case was so bad and he's so positive and it just never crossed my mind at the beginning. I mean, over time, it has crossed my mind, you know, from, you know, here or there, but at the time, no, it, it didn't even cross my mind just because the case was so horrible. And I thought, my gosh, how can they not see this injustice? And even though I knew that he um, had been in there for so many years and that none of his efforts to that point have been successful, I just see on TV all the time, you know, all these exonerations happening. And I just thought there was a shift in, you know, and these things that are occurring around the United States and people are finally waking up to this justice system being corrupt and being, you know, problematic. And, you know, obviously they're going to, they're going to look at Temujin's and be like, oh my gosh, this is the worst case. Like, this is horrible. How can this, how can this guy be in prison? And um, so it's still, it's shocking to me still to this day that, you know, nothing has been done. Um, but I still think that, the right person is going to come around, come along and do the right thing eventually. I mean, they just have to because this just looks so bad for our whole state. What What did your family and friends think when you told them that you were, you know, in a relationship with a man who was incarcerated, <laughs> a guilty, you know, sure guilty or innocent? You you Yeah, I mean, guilty or innocent. I mean, when you go to your friends and family and say, you know, I'm in a relationship with a gentleman who's incarcerated, what's he incarcerated for? Well, murder, but he didn't do it. And they're like, okay. I mean, it's obviously, it must be, it would be a hard thing to to broach with friends and family, I'd imagine. Yeah, it it is. And and you do, you feel like, you know, they're not going to believe you when you tell them. And, um, and so, and I'm sure there were, I'm sure there were a ton of conversations that were happening behind my back, but I have no idea what was going on. They're like, what is wrong with her? What is she thinking? Um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's my life, it's my decision. Yeah. And, um, you know, you love who you love um, and you stand by who you stand by. I mean, if, if there if there was an incarcerated individual for me to get involved with, you know, I'm glad it was him because <laughs> his case is so clearly obvious. Yeah, you know, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's it's not like there was a, well, he could have possibly been involved. There's just no doubt in this case. But yeah, I mean, you know, I've had some of my friends that, you know, before we we were, you know, married while we were still engaged, they were like, Paula, you know, what about the effects of his incarceration over all of these years? I mean, he's he's gone through a lot of trauma, and aren't you worried about, 
you know, when he comes home, what that, you know, what that's going to look like. And of course, it's something that runs through your mind. I mean, every one of the exonerees that I've spoken to have told me that that you can't walk out of a situation like that unscathed. I mean, I think he has enough, like, when he comes home to do and to keep him busy and to keep him occupied that, you know, I mean, I've done a lot of, of, of work around here to try and give him back, you know, a lot of the things that he's lost over the years. You know, he has all these tools and he has a big garage that he can, you know, come out here and, um, fix things and organize. And in fact, I, I tease him about going out to his garage and messing things up and you know, <laughs> letting him so that he'll have plenty to do when he comes home, but he will have plenty to do when he comes home. The relationship would continue to grow and get stronger until the point where Temujin Kenzu would get down on one knee and ask Paula to marry him. Yeah, we were on a visit and he, um, I, I had a feeling he was going to, I just, I just knew in my heart, you know, like I just knew he was going to ask. And so um, he got down on one knee and it was during one of our pictures um, that we had taken and he And and so it was a surprise in a way. I mean, I kind of expected it, but I didn't expect it at that moment. Um, And so he took my hand and he kissed my hand and he said, Paula Jean, will you do me the honor of being my wife? And he had tears in his eyes and he was just, it was just such a beautiful moment. So of course I said yes. Now engaged, of course, the next step is a wedding day. I know from my own dealings with the US prison system that things certainly never runs smoothly. And Paula says that with a wedding, it's no different. There are certainly no allowances made for someone's big day. After the prison changed the date on them four times, Temujin and Paula finally had their big day. With only four guests permitted to attend, it would be Paula's mother, Temujin's stepfather and their two close friends there to witness the occasion. Sadly, however, again, the prison rules would come into play when the couple asked if Temujin would be permitted to wear something else other than his prison-issued clothing. Originally, you know, we had asked Temujin, asked the prison if permission if he could wear a sport coat or if he could wear, if he could wear a suit or if he could wear anything other than his prison blues, and they said no. They said that it was a security threat. And so even for just pictures, they wouldn't let him borrow Dave's, you know, suit coat. You know, it was just, they're just, it's all about control with them. But, uh, you know, they originally, when he told me that he, you know, when we knew that he couldn't wear a suit, I thought, okay, I'll just dress down. I'll wear a simple white dress and I'm not going to go all elaborate. We'll do that when he comes home. And he told me that he was going to feel ridiculous with me all dressed up and him standing there in his, you know, prison uniform. And so I thought, well, I'm not going to do that to him. But, um, you know, then he over time changed his mind and he's like, no, you should wear it. And so I told him that I I didn't get the alterations done and that I wasn't going to be able to do it. And then I surprised him and wore it anyhow (laughs) and um, did get the alterations done. And um, so it everything about it ended up being perfect. I was very nervous because I had a lot of pins in my head, my hair done and I had, oh, gosh, probably 45 hairpins in my hair, holding my hair together. And thought, what if they asked me how many pins I have in my hair? I'm only allowed to have 10 pieces of jewelry total or, you know, and I thought, what if they 
make me take my hair down, you know? I mean, I w- that's what I was nervous about that day. I was like, what if they give me a hard time about the dress or what if they give me a hard time about my hair? All you these know, things I, that you wouldn't so have to normally have to worry about. <laughs> You've got to... Yeah, normally you're worrying about like, <laughs> is the wedding cake going to show up yeah. perfectly? And, you know, or is the DJ going to be there? None of that, but it was just a different layer of stress and mm. um, concern. It is a huge emotional strain. I mean, you, you're taking on a lot because, you, you know, you're not only, as you said, you, you still work. I mean, you, you're setting up this home for Temujin when he comes out. You, you're his biggest, biggest advocate. You know, you're always um, looking for new avenues and writing letters and, uh, and all the rest of it. Like, how are you? You know, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot to it, and it is exhausting some days. I mean, there, I'll be honest. I mean, there's some days where I am just, I'm just so tired, you know, and, um, you know, I, I, I've been, you know, really focused on, you know, doing better with my health and exercise and movement because I do have a desk job. I do sit at my computer all day and then, you know, at night comes around and I, I work on his case. I work on getting him home. I work on writing to people. I work on writing, you know, and posting all over social media and asking podcasters to interview him. And I mean, it, it is, so, there's so much work with a wrongful conviction. I mean, you are never done there. And then, and then just even having somebody incarcerated, there's a layer of work that comes with that, right? Like, you know, um, him, you know, just the, the, it's just really sad what, what happens in there with, you know, the way that they gaslight the prisoners and, and I, I, I just never knew how bad it was. I just couldn't even imagine how bad it was until I met him. And then, you know, I experienced it firsthand with just the, you know, the really petty stuff that happens at the prisons. It's just, it's really, it's sad and it's sickening, you know, but um, you know, there's always FOIA requests. There's always all this work that you have to do aside from just a wrongful conviction, just from him being in there. Um, you know, writing to the warden and telling him about, you know, uh, you know, my something was stolen from me by one of these officers when I on a visit one time or, you know, all of these just these crazy things that occur. And you just everything is a fight. Everything is a fight. Even, you know, setting up phone calls for him um, and making sure that he, you know, he knows about them because they the prisoner, the prison won't tell him sometimes when he has a scheduled media call. So I I'm a secretary, I'm a legal expert, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a mediator, I'm, I'm doing all of these different roles, I'm holding down the fort, I'm, you know, trying to replenish all the things that he lost, I'm trying to be a support for him, I mean, it's just, it's exhausting, there's a, there's a lot to it, it there, there's way more to it than I even knew when I got involved. You have one minute remaining. Of course, a big thank you to Paula for uh, sitting down and chatting with me about her relationship with Temujin and, of course, his fight for freedom. If you're sitting there wondering if there's anything you can do in order to help, then yes, there certainly is. Uh, Basically, it's a case in these situations of pressure makes diamonds, and that can come in the form of just a lot of noise and emails to the governor of Michigan, who Temujin is trying to get clemency from. 
Gretchen Whitmer is the name of the governor. And uh, you can send an email just calling for the release of Temujin Kenzu or at least for the governor to stop and take notice of this case. Email uh, either gretchen.whitmer at michigan.gov or governorsoffice at michigan.gov. Both of those email addresses are in the description of this episode. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. <laughs>